0: F1
1: never stops. The 2022 season has only just finished, but every team principal is already planning, plotting, maybe even dreaming about 2023. Haas, America's F1 team and the smallest squad on the grid have big ambitions. We have got ambitious goals because we have been there, we know how to do it, but we lost a little bit of momentum the last two years and we want to go back Gunter Steiner, a big character who's not afraid to take big decisions, like changing drivers. For 2023, he's swapping the potential of Mick Schumacher for the knowledge of Nico Hülkenberg. Mick can get a good driver, or he's already a
2: good driver, but he can get better. But how long does it take us? Because he's growing with us. He cannot make us grow. It is better to get an experienced driver to make the team move up quicker, because... You know, a Formula One team is one of those things you need to go quick. Otherwise, you lose momentum and
1: you stay behind. Welcome to F1B on the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. We last had Gunter Steiner on the show back in 2019 and so much has happened since then. He's become a bit of a rock star. You've probably seen his no-nonsense attitude, brutal honesty and great sense of humour on Drive to Survive. And Gunther's really like that. It's what makes him such a strong leader and it's helped him and the Haas team through a downturn in form during a few difficult years. I wanted to find out what it was like to spend a season struggling at the back of the pack as Haas did last year. And how Günther dealt with suddenly having to find a replacement driver on the eve of this season, and why he took the difficult decision to replace Mick Schumacher, a hugely popular young driver, with the consistently quick Nico Hülkenberg. We also talked about Roman Grosjean's years at Haas, including that fiery crash in Bahrain, plus Günther's management style and how Haas go about their racing. Günther's a maverick someone we all want to get to know a little bit better. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Gunter, it's lovely to have you on the show again. It's been three and a half years, would you believe it?
2: No, uh, I cannot believe it. It's a long time and it seems like, I I wouldn't say yesterday, but it doesn't seem three and a half years. Time flies. Time flies in Formula One. But how's life been
1: treating you in that time?
2: I mean, life was pretty, pretty good. I mean, I can't can't, uh, uh, complain about life. I mean, uh, the the work life was uh, sometimes challenging, you know, but uh, all in all, you know, we got through the challenging times and now we are
1: uh, up for better times, I would say. We'll come on to the team in a second, but... I did want to start by talking about your newfound fame, thanks to Drive to Survive. You're the rock star of the team principles now. Is that a tag you enjoy? I mean, I, I don't mind it, but I didn't work for this. You know, it's not
2: something that, uh, you try to do. I mean, what I try to do to, to run a, a, a racing team, get as competitive as possible. And this just happened, you know, without, uh, I mean, I cannot say without any, me doing anything, but I didn't do it on purpose to get there. You know, uh, it's difficult to explain because people are, oh, you, you must know. I never think about it. It just happens, you know. So how does it happen? I don't know. Uh, it, it's one of these things they, in life, they, they just happen. You do your job. People like it. Uh, uh, a show comes along, uh, they film you
1: and that's it. And uh, here we are. How have you embraced it? Has there been any merch, for example? I remember in Austin, the other team principals, I think it was Fred Vasseur turned up in the press conference wearing wearing a T-shirt. Yeah, the team decided, and
2: and and again, I say the team decided, not me. They told me, Gunther, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make T-shirts with a uh, with a few things uh, uh, you're saying on it, and 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 uh, see if we can uh, sell them." And uh, I said, "Yeah, fine with me. You know, it's it's for the team. I mean, the, uh, it's not me personally which gets any profits from it." And uh, they, they put it on, on sale, and uh, obviously in the beginning they didn't uh, print tens of thousands of it, and. Uh, they sold out within, I would say, in a day or so. They even told me the, uh, the, the company, Tricope, uh, which is doing all our merchandise and our team clothing, uh, they put it on their website, and the website crashed for four hours, and the, the owner of it came to me. It never happened to him. I said, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know how it really works, you know, this
1: website. So I had no idea what it means, but uh, it's good. It's good for the team, huh? Yeah, it's good. good <laughs> revenue stream. I mean, Correct. Now look there's also a sign I've seen at every race pretty much that says Gunther will you marry me. I just wondered what your your wife and daughter made of that. Uh, I mean you can imagine all, what they think. Uh, I hope you don't. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's it's good fun, you know. It is good fun. But look what about you Gunther in terms of how has your management style changed in the last 4 or 5 years do you feel? I wouldn't say it has changed a a lot obviously uh, we had the last
2: uh, two years we had young drivers which is uh, uh, which I had to adapt a little bit more uh, to experienced drivers I think with experienced drivers because they know more you can be more direct while young drivers still have to learn their uh, what they are doing so uh, it has changed a little bit but not a lot I'm still uh, you know very direct with everybody. Uh, I I say what I think and I encourage people to tell me the truth and not something I want to hear because uh, if they tell me what I want to hear, we don't make progress. So uh, I think my management style uh, has not changed uh, a lot, you know. So I don't think it will change anymore. I'm getting too old, you know. Uh, A leopard doesn't change his spot, you know. If I now go to management courses, that will not do anything to me. And uh, I would say... uh, it's one of those things, uh, everybody has got his own style and there is nothing wrong or right with each of the styles. They're just different. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things, uh, what I always say. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, saying this is wrong or this is right. This is different and I do things how I think they're right to do, even if people say, oh, it has been done different before.
1: Who cares? What about the politics of the F1 pit lane? Do you feel you're better at navigating that side of the sport?
2: I don't think I was never buttered at it. Again, I had my own way to deal with it. I mean, obviously, longer you're there, uh, people know you as well better how you react. It's all politics a lot is how your opponent will be reacting to something and that, uh, that direction you steer it. So people now maybe approach me different than they did four or five years and, and I go back different. But in principle, it's, it's always the same like I was before.
1: And are the politics different now that... Liberty and Stefano Domenicali are in charge? Because, of course, when Haas started out, it was still the Bernie Ecclestone era.
2: Yeah, uh, 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 I think they're different. Uh, Definitely they're different. They've changed. You know, it's uh, more... Everybody's included. You know, before with Bernie, the big teams... The the big teams always have a little bit of an advantage, but it's... It's For a good reason, you know, they're putting more into the sport, they are uh, uh, supplying PU units and stuff like this. But I think it's more transparent now with Stefan in charge. You know, it's more information. He always tries to update us what is going on in, in his world, which means then which influences what our world will be because uh, he's, a, he's a the, the leading edge of it. So uh, I think it's just more transparent. We are more informed, and uh, I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm not critiquing what Bernie did. It was different times as well. We always have to think about this. The times were different. You know, everything is different now. F one is a lot more popular. Uh, the, the 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 money distribution is more equal. We have got ten teams which are all ten very stable. In the old days, in the old days, we never had ten stable teams. There was always one or two which were lagging behind or hinking a little bit behind. You know, so now it's very stable. So it's also that one. But that was achieved at how. Uh, Liberty Media uh, uh, approached the sport you know they wanted this uh, that all 10 teams can commercially survive so we have a good show and nobody's struggling
1: well what about Has? let's talk about the stability of Haas have you always been that stable team you've just described
2: yeah I, I think we have been always stable in 2020 as I always uh, openly uh, said uh uh Uh, Mr. Haas, when the pandemic hit, wasn't sure. Uh, First of all, he wasn't sure what is going to happen with the world, you know, with the pandemic. And then uh, he was a little bit starting to get concerned. He wasn't sure if he continues or not. But then the the, the new Concord Agreement came with a better uh, funds distribution, price money distribution. Uh, The budget cap came. You know, he gave uh, me which direction we have to go. And we are here. So we were never unstable that we couldn't pay anything. It was more like, do we sign another five years to the Concord Agreement, to a new commercial agreement or not? Or, or do we stop? There was nothing, n- n- never anything uh, uh, left without money, which was promised, you know? So, but then when it was decided uh, that we continue, Mr. Haas is always true to his word. And uh, 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 we just kept on going. And now we are in a very
1: good position. Do you think Gene ever considered selling to Andretti or any of the other people on the periphery wanting to come in? Not since. uh, F1
2: teams have become hot property obviously if you maybe would have asked him in in 2019 or 2020 when the pandemic hit maybe it would be a different opinion but in 2020 nobody wanted to buy a team they all came afterwards you know it's always the same old story when everything is successful everybody has got great idea but what you have to say a gene invested in the team in we started in 2014 obviously we went racing the first time 2016 when F1 teams were not taught property in 2017 or 18, I don't remember, no 17, I think it was, you could buy one team for a pound and nobody bought it, you know? And now they're all, oh, I want a team. But because now they're worth a lot of money, if you could get now a team for one one pound, I think you find millions of buyers. But five years ago, think about it, you couldn't find anybody who bought it, you know? So the world has changed. So uh, the question,
1: would he sell now? No. What's your view on more teams coming in? Would you like to see an 11th, a 12th team? As uh, as FOM always
2: says, first of all, everybody thinks we, we are the people, the other teams decide what is happening. We cannot decide. We can have our opinion, but we cannot decide. Deciding is FOM. I think FOM knows, uh, and Stefan knows, the sport is in a very good place uh, in the moment. Putting an 11th team in, does it create more revenue? Does it make it bigger Formula 1? I don't think so. It's better to have Ten very stable teams, then taking the risk to have no gain and uh, having somebody more to share the money with, you know. It's very stable in the moment. So obviously, if, a, if an 11 team comes and they bring, let me say, 10% more revenue, why not? But if an 11 team comes and just takes an eleventh of the revenue, which is there now. So you, you dilute everybody else's revenue. Why would you do that? Because I think the grid with 20 cars is pretty full. And as I said, they are very stable, not only right now, but also for the future, because they are all owned either by people which know what they are doing and can uh, uh, run a team, or they are uh, owned by, uh, by corporates, which we know uh, they can continue. You know, And uh, we have got now uh, Audi coming in, Uh, they decided to buy a team, not to put their own one up, because it isn't an easy task now to put
1: a Formula One team up from zero. Did you talk to Audi? No, we didn't talk to Audi. Okay. Look, what about the team? How has it changed? How has it grown in the years that you've been in Formula One? And specifically since 2018, when you had, that was the high tide mark, wasn't it? With that fifth place in the Constructors' Championship.
2: Yeah, the the team has grown. I I mean, you know, in the beginning, you've got, uh, you you run on adrenaline and enthusiasm, and then you put procedures in place, and that you can, uh, when people leave because people uh, want to do something different, uh, you put, uh, I mean, we have grown as an organization. We are much more streamlined. We are much more, uh, in the beginning, you you do a lot just with uh, the sheer. Uh, putting the effort in you know now we are more organized uh, uh, I think we are in a better place then as you said in 2018 we had uh, a very good year 19 our car was not uh, up to what we wanted it to be and then 20 came we had quite a few backward hits I would say in, in very short period of time 19 our car wasn't good we tried to recover then 2020 came we got again slapped in in our face because we didn't know if we continue. And then we had to come up with 21 uh, with having two rookie drivers. But now it's 22. We made a big step. So uh, I I think in in one or two years, uh, our aim is to be where we left it off in 18.
1: You say you've made big steps in 22. Can you just elaborate a little bit on where you've made those steps? Because uh, in, in 2020... We shut down a
2: lot of the organization internally, you know, the development team and everything. That for, for twenty one, we couldn't design, and you couldn't design a complete new car because the regulation there, you had to carry over some of the parts, obviously. Uh, we couldn't design a new car, but we needed to get ready then when we said in end of 2020 that we stay in F1 when the Concord Agreement was signed, the commercial agreement. Uh, we had to ramp up again the technical department, and that is when... Uh, uh, we started the new office in Maranello with Simone Resta uh, running it. And we started to recruit people in the beginning of 21. Think about it. We, we had a, about half the people working in, uh, uh, in, in car development than we had in 18. But we had to ramp up again. Uh, Simone came and in a few months we found people. We got a little bit lucky because uh, Ferrari, because of the budget cap, uh, they didn't want to lose the people. They want to give them an opportunity to stay in Formula One, and we got some of their people. Obviously, we had to deal with FIA on this one. It was all done uh, at very high level that we take these people over and we opened an office. But uh, you know, when you even if you get the people, you need to get them to work as a team. And Simone did that uh, uh, in three four months, and we started development. I would say intensively March in in twenty one, and if you see what the guys did in in eight months. Starting, I wouldn't say from zero, but from 50% to come up with a car where we moved on from last year to this one. And therefore, I'm confident that going forward with the step we did in 21, we can keep on moving up, you know. And uh, uh, as I say, I'm I'm, I'm cautiously confident looking at next year that these guys did again a good job, but not because they just work together for a year. You know, they are just getting better. All the organization is getting better. Uh, they, they are just more efficient. They know each other. They know uh, their weak points, their good points, you know, everything. So they're working just like a, a, a team now and uh, that should give us a better car for the future. And that is where we came up in the last two years, as, as you ask.
1: Why did you choose Maranello for the design office? It came convenient because,
2: as I said before, uh, Ferrari had some engineers and if you need... Less engineers, what have you got left? Offices, empty ones. So uh, it was no point uh, to put them somewhere else uh, uh, because it was much easier and to get ramping up quicker. When you uh, I spoke with Mattia, they had offices because they they, uh, they they didn't need them anymore because they had less people. So I said, can we rent them instead of going outside Maranello to rent some offices? But what I have to say, Dalara is still involved because we had a lot more people at Dalara, but Dalara is still involved with our team. Uh, you know, th- there is... Uh, depending on the time of the year when we need a lot of resources. Like now, I think we've got about 50, 60 people working at Alara for us. In summertime, we've got less because there is less work done. That is the advantage of Alara. The they can give you people less and more. And also Alara still makes uh, uh, the chassis, the wings, uh, 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 and uh, a lot of the, of the the uh, of the components they still make. Not everything, but a lot of it. But we have got engineers there as well. So the decision was... Should we move everything to Parma or Varano, the Melegari, where the is, or should we keep it in Maranello? And Maranello came then very easy because 40% of the people which worked there, they worked at Maranello before. Some of our people, which we kept on over 21, they worked in the wind tunnel because we used the Ferrari wind tunnel, so they were located in near Modena. There was no point to move everything to Bar- Parma and move 70, 80 people up to Parma uh, and find new offices there. So that was the reason why uh, we decided we move into uh, the, the Ferrari facility Maranello. We have a different entrance, so nobody gets uh, says uh, we are just copying it. We have different entrances. It's
1: all supervised by the FA. So just to be clear, that the car is designed in that design office led by Simone Resta in Maranello. It is then built in Parma at Dallara. The car is designed mainly
2: Maranello, but as I said, in, in Dallara there are also, uh, depending on the time of the year, between 30 and 50 people. The car is built, the parts are built in Dallara. We always do the first build of the car in the Lara, because it's easier because it have access old, uh, to their uh, uh, composite uh, uh, factory, to their machining shop and, to, uh, and all that stuff. But then the car moves to the UK and is rebuilt there. It doesn't go back to the Lara anymore, the car. There is no mechanics at Dallara. The There's just engineers. The commercial office is uh, partly in, uh, mainly in the UK and I'm in the US. A new year full
0: of surprises. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.
1: Talking of the commercial office now, how much of a game changer is this MoneyGram deal? It's a big game changer. What we
2: did, uh, uh, what I realized, 21, we have to get more commercial, you know, finding more partners, work harder on it. And then uh, we employed a, a marketing director. He he joined us beginning of 22. And uh, with good with people around, uh, uh, Mark came on board. We, we recruited a few more people. And we got a good momentum with sponsors, you know. Sponsors see that we can do better, that we are on the up again. And everybody sees what Formula One in the moment is happening. The uh, the popularity is getting a lot bigger than it was three, four years ago, as we said, you know. So a lot of people watch it. And uh, I think a, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people like underdogs. A lot of people like what we are doing because uh, they see we work hard. We get uh, we get up and down results. There is always something happening. And uh, and uh, we've got now a good commercial department which can show the, the potential sponsor what is possible. That is why we made uh, gains in, in that department as well. But back to Monogram they see something coming. Uh, They're a global company based in America, but uh, 90% of their markets, they have F1 races. So for them, it's a very good tool to market their company. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. They don't do it just for fun because it's a lot of money, you know. Uh, So uh, I think they they saw what is happening in the United States with Formula 1, and they said, let's be one of the first big companies, new companies which go into Formula 1
1: in the US. And I think they, they were very smart because they came in at the right time. How much does Gene understand Formula One now? Because you've been making all these changes first in Maranello. I would imagine you were courting MoneyGram for many months before you actually did the deal. This was all happening during the most difficult season in the team's history, 2021. Did Gene understand what was happening in 21? You're at the back of the grid, but he could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah,
2: uh, I mean, I've got a very good dialogue with Gene and I explain him always what I do. He lets me do it, but I I think he trusts me because I I normally do what I say I'm going to do and I achieve it, you know. Obviously, I don't achieve everything what I say because uh, it's also you cannot, but he can see that when I explain him something, Gene is very smart and I explain him, this is what we need to do, this is what they're going to do, you know, and he said, yeah, Uh, you know, and uh, when I deliver Obviously, he sees that I'm able to do it, so that that, that I think that for he trusts me because I am never saying something which is, uh, you know, is how you want to do that. And if you ask how do you, how you gonna do it, I can explain that. You know, that is how Jean got into F1. Before Jean decided to get into F1, he spoke with me for one and a half year, You know, to see if I actually know what I'm doing. You know, or, or how how this should work. So uh, I, I think Jean uh, understands very well, even if he's not involved uh, in the day-to-day running, or if you see him at the racetrack. He just watches, you know, he sees, he he likes it and, and he looks around. He understands a, a lot more than people think he understands, you know, what is going on behind the scenes. But he let people work, you know, and as long as I deliver, I mean, sometimes when something goes wrong, he has got an opinion o- about it, obviously, because it's his team, it's not my. But uh, uh, I think he's got a good understanding what is going, a very good understanding what's going on here.
1: You say it's his team, not yours. Do you think there'll ever be a shareholding in the offing for you? I don't know. I don't want to go there because it's the same as I said before, uh, five years
2: ago, uh, who wanted a shareholding in an F1 team? You know, that would be a little bit opportunistic. That is his
1: decision, not my one. Just that it's it's your character permeates through every bit of the Haas Formula One team. It is almost you.
2: I wouldn't go there. It's... it's uh, it, You know, obviously, if you lead, and you know that I do uh, this with passion, I'm not doing this to do just a job, because then I would do something different with the effort I put in here. You can do a lot of other things with that effort. I like what I'm doing, and obviously, if if I can stimulate people to do a good job, why not? You know, but I I don't get up in the morning, how do I behave today, what I'm going to do today. I know exactly what to do, uh, what I want other people to do, and I think I have got a good group of people around me, which actually as much as they have to work hard they like to do that you know otherwise they wouldn't be here they're a little bit like me I like to work hard but I enjoy what I'm doing and these people is the same otherwise they wouldn't work with me because I'm, I'm sometimes not the easiest guy to work for but they I think they respect because I put effort in I'm not just telling them you have to do this that and the other no they know I li- we decide what we are doing and then they are able to do what how how they how they do it, I, I mean, I, I don't say I don't care, you know, because there needs to be a certain level of uh, things, what I look at, but they know this is what we are doing. They have got freedom to do it, you know, which is nice in life. You know, if have got uh, some autonomy to do how you want to do it, I'm not micromanaging or anything. We sit, we decide, and then we go. Which uh, uh, And I've got the same, I'm fortunate as well with Gene, the same thing. You know, I explain him what I'm doing, and then he says, how you do it? I'm not getting
1: involved. I don't need any work, you know. Before this Hass Opportunity came along, you were running a very successful carbon composites business in the US. Are you still CEO of that or do you just not have time for it? No, I'm still CEO,
2: but I I, I don't do any daily work. My business partner, Joe Hoffman, uh, uh, is a very good guy. We own the, the company together. You know, he loves to do it. And uh, again, he's one of them. He knows that I'm always available for him. We speak very frequently, you know, uh, but I, I don't interfere with him. Uh, on a daily basis, because then how can you make somebody responsible for something if you then go and tell him what to do every day? No, he knows what he's doing. We get on as uh, uh, as friends as well, not only as business partners. And, and it works. It's
1: uh, the company's uh, doing pretty well. Clearly, you empower the people who work for you. So let's talk drivers now. First things first, Roman Grosjean, we haven't had you on the show since his accident, which was almost two years ago. To the day, how do you reflect on that crash in Bahrain?
2: I, I think we, uh, I think we, we all can say we got lucky. I, I mean, that is the only thing you can say that he got out of the car. I mean, if you reflect on it, you know, it, 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 it is the these the, twenty seconds they were very long but very short because there was nothing in between. If he doesn't come out, he doesn't come out forever. You know, so it, it, it's it's now brutal to say like this, but he was strong enough to 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 come out and. Uh, Obviously, once you see somebody coming out like this, it's just relief. You know, there's nothing else. And you can say this was, I mean, it was not only luck because the cars are very safe. I'm not saying anything of this, but but how this happened, I mean, it couldn't have got any worse. You, you you run into somewhere where it's it's the worst place on the racetrack to run into. And then you go on fire as well. What more can happen, you know? But he got out of it and we were lucky. Uh, and uh, it, it, it all ended good, you
1: know? How did that crash affect you personally? I think I
2: take it the way that I say, you know, we got away with it. I respect it, but I don't dwell on it. You know, it's one of these things in life. You don't want to think every day about it. Mm. And was that the worst accident you've been involved with in your career? Uh, Yes, as an accident, yes. But the good thing there was after 20 or 25 seconds, we knew that he's okay. You know, uh, we had once an accident with Colin McRae. I think it was in Corsica when he went off the road and the car was upside down. It was leaking fuel and uh, they couldn't get him out. And you cannot get to the car. You don't know what is happening. I think the worst bit is you know there's an accident. You don't know what is happening. That is the, that is that is worse. But as an accident, uh, uh, this was absolutely worse because it was, I mean, everything, a big crash and fire. What more you want? I mean, cannot get
1: any worse. Interesting to hear you mention Colin McRae because one of the questions I had for you is who is the most talented driver you've ever worked with? And of course, your career spans rallying and then of course, Red Bull, Haas, just of all the people you've worked with. I think of all the people i worked with, it is Colin because how, how he could drive a car,
2: it came so easy to him. He didn't, he, he didn't need to put any effort in. He didn't have to go up early in the morning to study it, you know. He sat in a car and that's what he could do, you know. And uh, if you look at Colin, his, his best era was when there was uh, not a lot of electronics, not a lot of driving aids. You know, that means he was in control. He was the driving aid, you know. His brain could uh, feel what is going on, you know. Uh, because when the electronic driving aids came, people which studied what they can help to do, you know, I don't know if he didn't want to put the effort in uh, because he was so talented. that He wanted to do it himself, and uh, I think uh, the, the period when he drove the Subaru and the, the first Ford Focus that wa- that was his best uh,
1: uh, time of life because the cars were pretty brutal to drive. Do you think though, rallying and circuit racing are comparable, or is it completely different discipline? It is a complete uh, different discipline, uh, I think. They're all good
2: drivers, and they all can adapt to the other series, but it's the same when you say uh, an oval driver. You know, It's difficult for a, for a very good oval driver to go in a car in, on a normal circuit because I, I think it's just like if you do it year over years, you just develop your base talent, and you develop your skills, you know, like doing a job. And if you always go in ovals, you get very good at it. You understand the oval, but it's the same for a, a driver, which is for a rally driver going to an oval. I, I think it must feel pretty boring. But it's difficult. It's not that it isn't difficult driving an oval. It's just like when you're used to, uh, you know, not really knowing where you're going. Doing 500 lap, one and a half mile with four corners is a different profession, I call it, you know. But the thing what needs to be there, it's a very good base talent, which is natural, which you cannot learn or buy, you know. So you need to have the talent and then develop one of the categories. So if uh, I would say a, a, a driver which is good on oval, on street circuits, on rallying, would have started on another discipline, he, he could be very good as well.
1: Interesting. Uh, Sebastian Vettel said recently on this podcast that Kimi Räikkönen is without a doubt the most talented driver he's ever seen in Formula 1 because he can get into any car and immediately go fast. But back to Colin McRae. Uh, anyone listening to this, I advise you to get on YouTube and and watch some in-car footage of Colin. His car control undoubtedly was brilliant, but do you think he would have been capable of banging in 20 laps within three-tenths of a second of each other on a circuit in a Formula One car? If he wanted to do it, and uh, you would
2: give him uh, enough time, I think he would. But I don't know if he wanted to do that. Uh, You know, characters are different. You know, he wasn't the guy which would work really hard on data and stuff like this. He would sit in the car and go and drive it, you know, and... I I don't know if he he would have had the patience or the will to do it because maybe he didn't need it.
1: Back to Grosjean quickly. Do you think you got the best out of Roman? I I, I would say so. Roman, uh, I mean, we all know that he's
2: a very good driver on a good Roman day, but he can be a very bad driver on a bad Roman day, you know. So, I mean, I, I think that is his character, you know. Uh, I mean, sometimes you think uh, or when he drove for us is how did he do this? You know, a quali lap, he could put a stunning lap down. And then sometimes as we had it, you know, in Baku, when he spun out from nowhere, it's like, how did he do that? You know, or going to the grid in Brazil, ending up in the, it's like, oh, man, I mean, how did he do that? It's the same positive and negative.
1: It's just uh, one of these things. It's Grosanning, you know. So, when you were looking for a, for a second driver at the start of this year, did you consider bringing him back instead of Kevin? Uh, not really, because I knew he had a contract. He just signed a contract. and, he, and uh, uh, But I think Kevin had a contract with Peugeot
2: and other people. But I think it was different because uh, Roman uh, moved to the. He wanted to make a change of life, you know, and, and I got to know Roman over the years pretty well, you know. So I know he wanted to make a change of life. He took all his family to the States. You know, he had a plan for his life. He, by Kevin, I knew. It's Kevin, you know, he didn't have a real plan, you know, he he, he was living, you know, so he was enjoying life. While Romain had a plan and uh, uh, he had this contract with uh, Andretti, which he was very proud of, a multi-year contract with Andretti, he wanted to go to the States, to IndyCar, he did IndyCar before, he was very positive. I said, I don't think I, been, I can persuade him to do something, it would have been difficult because I respect he's got three children, three, uh, three kids, you know, he's got the wife and no change and while well, Kevin is much easier, Kevin is, uh, you know, more like me, you know. <laughs> So look, why did you choose Kevin? Uh, I mean, it came when I spoke with Jean. When when what happened happened, you know, it's like who we put in there. It's always and then we went through the list and uh, and, and he said. What do you think about Kevin? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good with him, you know. If he if he can get him, I said, what is he doing? And I said, he is driving for Peugeot in in WEC and He did some IMSA races, but I said, at the time I had seen him in in Daytona 24 Hours. I ran into him and we had a chat 20 minutes down in Daytona. And he know I know what he was doing, but I said, see, I don't know if he can get out of the contract or if he wants to get out of the contract, But sure, I can find out because I mean, you know, we, we, I've got a good relation with uh, with at the time with Kevin entered Romain. So I just called him up and I called him back and said, hey, Gene, I think he, he can get out. I mean, he's convinced he can get out. And uh, okay, uh, let's try to do it. And I said, obviously, we have to get now to the nitty-gritty, to the, to the real work to get him out, not only an idea. It's always... Uh, you know, it's a lot of great ideas, but when you have to get to do the great ideas, it's a lot of work behind it. So I said, okay, uh, should I try to do it? Oh yeah, if you're okay, oh I'm okay with it. Yeah, let's uh, let's try to do it. And that we started. We didn't have a lot of time, which sometimes helps not having a lot of time because then you put in a deadline. We need to get it done, and then you know where you are at. Because otherwise, we ended up with no driver. But but Gene, you never panic because I always, you know, there's always a solution to problems. And he backs that. He never, you know, pushes. No, no. Gene, if he's, not, we find somebody else. Don't worry. You know, they've come up with some other idea. So uh, that, that is how we got the Kevin on. I spoke with him. And then we started to talk the contract, which wasn't uh, uh, difficult because we said, let's take the old contract as a basis. So we don't have to go back and forward with lawyers for, for days and discuss it. You know, let's uh, 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 let's discuss the commercial terms and we go from there. Kevin
1: has said several times this year that he feels a different driver, that, that time away has actually helped him mentally. Can you see that?
2: Yeah, uh, 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 I would say he's, he's, he's a lot calmer. But, but I don't think it's not only the, the time away. He's got the family now, you know. Is. Uh, uh, He's, he's a, a year, one and a half older, than, or now it's two years older than when he left, you know. So uh, th- that changes people as well. But obviously, we all know Formula One is one of the sports. When you're in it, you don't really appreciate what you've got. You know, it's like when you're out of it, you miss it because you realize what you had. It's like the good old thing, you know, uh, you don't miss the sun under the trains, you know. If the sun shines every day, it's like, yeah, the sun is shining, but when it rains for two or three days, you miss it, you know? It's a, it's a very similar thing uh, to me, and especially for a driver, because there's only 20 drivers out there which are racing these cars. They are the best cars to race in the world. I mean, that's what they say. I, I'm not a race car driver, so, but uh, I, I see it. And, uh, uh, you know, you've got 100,000 of funds. How good is that for the drivers, you know? Uh, and uh, But when you've got it every day and you need to work hard, you forget about it, you know, because it comes no it becomes normality and when you haven't got that normality is gone it's like actually it was pretty good life you know then when you come back you respect it more and you enjoy it more as well
1: Kevin Magnussen will be on pole position for the sprint race here in Interlagos two races ago he was wearing t-shirts that had his face on with the word legend <laughs> I dare say he's going to sell a few more now Gunter Steiner and Kevin Magnussen oh that's brilliant We're speaking a week on from that fabulous pole position at Interlagos uh, by Kevin. How important are days like that for team morale?
2: They are the moments a team works for, you know, especially a team uh, up and coming again. You know, we know that we can do better, but always you need to prove that you can do it. And when you do a pole, that proves we can do it and gives you that uh, additional energy to keep on going, especially at the end of the season. You know, everybody's tired. You're in Brazil, you're tired. You know, we are, uh, we, we are fighting for eight position and boom, Kevin puts it on pole. We never had a pole and a pole in Formula One is, is something, you know, There is not everybody has made that one, you know. Obviously, it came uh, with the uh, changing circumstances of the racetrack, but I think we did a good job. We didn't get lucky with that. Uh, we were there at the right time when we, could, we took the opportunity, I call it, you know. There was an opportunity given to go on pole and we took it. It's the same when a small team gets on the podium. A small team normally cannot get on the podium. You need to be there at the right moment when the opportunity is given. So uh, I, I
1: think it's very similar to that one. I think credit where it's due. Eight of the 10 drivers in Q3 got an opportunity to put a lap in and Kevin's was fastest. I think it was uh, there was no luck involved at all. You know, some say oh, you were at the end of pit road. Yeah, but we were the
2: first ones to go out to make the decision to go on dry right tyres because nobody came out on dry right tyres. We made the decision. And as you said, if you look at the in-car camera of that lap from Kevin, I mean,
1: again, if you can see it on YouTube, watch it, and you see that it was a pretty cool lap. Now, you've worked with many drivers. What is Kevin's greatest strength? First of all, his talent he, he can stay calm.
2: Sometimes for me, sometimes too calm. You know, he, he can take a lot of pressure and, and it doesn't affect him, you know. But I think sometimes I tell him you need to, you know, a little bit more. But I'm not telling people how to be. I, I I don't do that. But it's like sometimes, but I, I, I have not seen him uh, overreacting a lot, especially since he came back.
1: And have you been impressed by the way he's led the team?
2: Yes, the team believes in him because he was here before. You know, he had an advantage on that one, I would say. And he took the advantage by just giving the team what the team needs. He respects everybody. You know, he's not this driver which wants to be uh, the best friend of everybody. But there is respect, and you can see it. He knows what the mechanic does because, you know, he comes from not a lot, you know. So he came up the, the hard way. So he respects everybody working in the team. He's never negative about something. He's very very respectful of everybody in the team.
1: So what about Mick Schumacher? You're letting him go after two years with the team. Why?
2: Ah, we, we made the decision. Uh, the decision was made by analysing what is the best for the team to go back where we want to be. And I explained long enough where we want to be, so I don't want to bore anybody with, with that anymore. And we needed experience. And we waited a long time because we weren't sure what is the right thing to do. Then in the end, it said we need somebody who, I think the weakest point or a weak point is still the team. Over the last two years, we lost a lot of momentum and we need to bring that drive back to the team with experience, people which have done that to to bring the whole team up. We, we, We don't have one weak point in the team. We have got them all across, you know. Not really weak, but we are in a lot of things. We are average, but we need to be better, you know, in everything. And there's nothing in the team. The whole team needs to come up. And if we don't bring in people which have done it before, it's difficult, like with race engineer. If we can grow our own race engineers, and we can do it, but it maybe takes us five years. So what did we do with Kevin? We brought in Mark Slate which was a very experienced race engineer, you know. So the next thing is, okay, what do we do to make the team better that the driver can tell us what to do? Mick can get a good driver, or he's already a good driver, but he can get better. But how long does it take us? Because he's growing with us. He cannot make us grow, you know. So we said, how can we do that? And then we looked around, and uh, uh, we knew Nico from – we had a few discussions in the years before with him, and it never materialized that he came to work for us. So obviously there was the respect there. Uh, uh, and he said he's on the market. Obviously, he, hadn't, he hasn't driven now full-time for three years. That's maybe, can he do it? And you look at, he drove two races this year, beginning of the season. He did do pretty well, you know. So Okay, that is a possibility to do. And then we evaluated what is better for the team. And then it came out that it's better to get an experienced driver to make the team move up quicker. Because, uh, you know, a Formula One team is one of those things, you need to go quick, other, otherwise you lose momentum and you stay behind. It's difficult to, to recoup if you do it everything internally organically. You need you need things from outside. And the biggest assets a team has got is the people. You know, so we needed the best people we could get for what we need. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not discussing here uh, could Mick do a race like Nico the speed and so on. Yeah, maybe he can. Maybe he's even faster. I don't know. But what we needed is Nico's experience in uh, in the midfield teams which he helped to bring up. He has done it before. He has done it with Force India, with Renault. So he has done it. He knows how to do that. And that experience what we need. And Mick, unfortunately, didn't have that because
1: he just started two years ago in Formula 1 and he's still very young. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say, yes, Mick did start two years ago in Formula 1, but the car was so off the pace last year. It's been well documented that he didn't develop the car. He didn't have a quick teammate. So there's an argument that this is year one for him in terms of his experience. Because actually in 2021, all he actually learned was the rhythm of a Grand Prix weekend. This is the first time he's been in the cut and thrust of the midfield. And you just, what, you haven't seen enough in those 22 races.
2: It's exactly what I explained before. We know that and we know the speed and everything, but we want to make two steps with one, and that is bring experience that, as I said before, he, he's like the team. We need to get better, he, he and he will get better when he's driving, but how can we get quickest there by bringing experience in? You know, it's the same. As I said before, we have uh, there is a lot of young race engineers out there, which can be as good as anybody, but it will take them time because... To make experience, you cannot buy it. You need to make it, and it takes time. And for us, the quickest way is doing it a different way because we haven't got time forever, you know, with the team. Uh, I mean, uh, to to attract good people, you need to have success. You know, it's it's, it's all, uh, you can say, okay, this is our people. We all build them up, and in five years, we will be fifth. No, we try to be fifth in two years. How can you achieve that, you know? Because uh, we have got ambitious goals because we have been there. We know how to do it, but we lost a little bit of momentum the last two years, and we want to go back to that one.
1: How much was Mick's opportunity with the team dented by the crashes in Saudi Arabia, in Monaco, in Suzuka? Not in particular one crash or something like this. It's a, It's a. If
2: you look, again, I always look... I, I, you look back because, you know, you have to look back, but you look forward. If these things happen next year again, does it hinder us to make progress, as I said before? Yes, because with the budget cap, spending money like this it's basically wasted because you cannot make the car go quicker. It's all about that, you know. So I'm not saying that he will crash next year's cars, but he crashed three this year. It happened, as you say, because uh, he was the first time in a, uh, in a decent car, you know, because as you said, last year's car wasn't good, and he had to fight with, The best of the best now, you know, so he took more risk, obviously, and it didn't pay off. Maybe it would have been his last crash this year and he would never crash again. I don't know that and we will not know that uh, now or at least for next year. But uh, in the end, we didn't want to take that risk, you know, and we said we take somebody who knows how not to do that so we can focus when we do our budget. This is the money we're going to spend on development and not put it there just for crashes if they happen.
1: So Hulkenberg, as you've already said, Uh, He hasn't raced full-time for three years. How much of a concern is that? Because I I, I use Alonso as an example. He took two years out in which he continued to race in WEC, he did Dakar, and yet he says it took him more than half a year to get up to speed when he came back in 21. Uh, Fernando's also seven years old, though you know so that doesn't that, no, uh, that doesn't help him, you know. So no, uh, no,
2: it will take him some time, and that was our uh, our biggest concern when we looked at it. He's not I mean he didn't drive full time for three years, but he drove. I mean he drove two races this year. He did a, a a Pirelli test at least one this year. You know he can drive the car here in 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 Abu Dhabi, but it is a little bit of a concern. But at some stage uh, we cannot find. The definite answer, if we don't try. And there is a risk whatever you do. And that is one of the risks. But uh, we, 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 we spoke with him, you know, we sat down with him just to see if, you know, if you can see I want to do this. Because if you want to do this, and, and uh, Fernando is a, is a big example. How many people said he will never do it? He's still one of the best. I mean, you can say whatever you want. The guy is over 40 years old, has, to, has been two years out, comes back, it's still one of the best, you know. So why... Uh, uh, Nico cannot do it and as I said jokingly Nico is younger than him uh, uh, but uh, I think he can do it then obviously the proof is in the pudding and that will be next year but that was one of the concern which took us also we, we did a lot of consideration about that because like I don't know if he can do it you know and then we convinced ourselves or he convinced us that he can still do it
1: I asked Alonso recently I said how have you been able to make this comeback and uh You know, what's made you as good as you are at this stage of your career? And he said, I hate losing. And I said, yeah, that doesn't differentiate you from the rest of the drivers. And he went and he looked me in the eye and he went, I really hate losing. Do you see that fire in Hulkenberg as well? Yeah, I see that fire.
2: Because uh, he, he, he was pretty intense to want him coming back, you know, because he, I, I think when we spoke with him, he could feel that that is what we doubted. Do you really want to do it or you just want to do it? You know, there is a difference, as, as, as Fernando said, I really hate. Do you want to do this? Oh, OK, being a Formula One driver, who doesn't want to do that? But, you know, but do you really want to do it? You know, it's a different story. So I think he really wants to do it.
1: I hope it will happen. What about Daniel Ricardo? How seriously did you consider him? Uh, I, oh, I texted
2: with him. I didn't even speak with him uh, before that all went down with McLaren. You know, because we all could feel that something is going wrong here. You know, but then we never got together. So, and then I think he decided because, as I said, we had a, a WhatsApp conversation, but he never got back. That tells me that. Uh, You know, and sometimes, and I respect that what he's doing, you know. I want to do what I want to do, and uh, I I, I don't want to be, uh, uh, you cannot beg a guy to come and drive for you. That doesn't work. A driver cannot force a team to have him. That will not work. If they both do not want it, really, again, it doesn't work. So if he would be interested, he would have called me. I I think, uh, and again, I respect that decision 100%. He said, maybe I need to take a step back to take two forward because he's, he ended up in a very difficult position at McLaren, you know. Uh, Lando is doing a fantastic job and uh, uh, I, I think Danny in the moment struggles, you know. I, I mean, I think he would admit that. you know, but it's like, so maybe he wants to find himself again because he's a good driver. I mean, he won races. I mean, I don't know why it happened. Maybe he does, I hope for him, because he's an asset to Formula One.
1: So do you think Holkenberg and... Magnussen are going to be a difficult combo to manage, and I and I and I hark back to the 2017 Hungarian Grand Prix. Suck my balls, Nico. No, I don't think. I think they spoke. I don't think, and I always say they don't
2: need to be the best mates as long as they respect each other. But uh, I think they respect each other. I spoke with both of them about the other one. They're both pretty cool about it. And and as I said, maybe I'm uh, my my management style maybe is better with experienced drivers. You know, uh, then with young drivers, as I said before, I I, I tone down, but uh, it's like I can tell these guys what to do. And they understand me both because they know I'm doing it for passion, not to be nasty or anything. Because I've no, but, uh, and I think they know me both long enough as well, you know, to know that I'm not the easiest guy to get along with, but I I never hold grudges, you know. I mean, it's, you know, I, I say what I say and then we move on. But I need to tell you, you know, and you need to be strong enough. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, to take it, you know. But you can get back at me as well. I'm not getting upset, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe I get upset at the moment, but if it is uh, constructive, I take it on board and try to make it better. I want that input, you know. How can we do better? You know.
1: Did you consider Hulkenberg um, as a replacement for Nikita Mazepin at the start of this year? I think he was on the list, but there it was like I think the the Kevin
2: solution was almost too easy. Once he came up, because we know him, we knew we know what we get while bringing some, and he knew the team you know he just had a, a, a head start in a difficult situation because we had only two weeks to go you know now we have got three months or two and a half months to go. So it's a little bit more time with two weeks to go. When you have somebody who knows everybody, who knows uh, our processes, you know how we work. Because, uh, you know, we work a little bit different than, than other teams, you know. So if you have got all this, it gives you a head start. And as we could see uh,
1: by Kevin finishing uh, uh, fifth in Bahrain. Right. So what are the team's goals? You've got the driver lineup. Yeah. You've got the established design department in Maranello now. Fighting in the midfield going forward
2: that is the team's goal what it will be you know you, you, you cannot put the position to it because the, the teams are all strong now there's a tight group of four or five teams which can do anything you know and next year it will be even tighter we want to be in that group and fight for as much
1: as we can all right well look, best of luck with that we're at the end of a long season Gunther and just before we go uh, I just, what does the winter look like for you what happens next what happens next uh, We work on next year's car. I mean, (laughs) it really uh, doesn't
2: stop. It doesn't stop. No, no, it doesn't stop. I mean, I think I hope the uh, the the guys of the team they can take a week or two off, you know, properly off. I mean, I I always. I mean, I I go back now. I go back to the states and uh, uh, I will have Thanksgiving. I work two days up to Thanksgiving. Have Thanksgiving the four days, and then I think I got enough drive again to focus maximum for uh, uh, 23 because it's very important but I I don't need to do any self-motivation it's all there once once you've got the energy back of a long season you know a few days with the family you know just relaxing not thinking about Formula 1 the hunger is there again to do better so uh, I I never struggle with that one and then at Christmas obviously we'll have the the week between Christmas and New Year is quite uh, I wouldn't say quiet but uh, I think we've got a lot of things in place this year so we don't need to uh, you know, Panic, we have got drivers, we have got uh, MoneyGram as a title sponsor, we got Haas, CNC, always there with us, you know, genius in a good place, I hope uh, there is no drama over Christmas, fingers crossed, because uh, drama, I think we never got uh, rid of, the, of Mr. Drama, you know, so, uh, but then it should be should be OK. And then in January, it, it's pretty quick that the uh, car starts and then the problems start again with the uh, uh, things which happen. And uh, but no, I really look forward to it. And uh, we go again in a week.
1: Oh, in a week. And just looking ahead to next year, it's going to be a very long season. A has going to rotate. Are you going to go to every race or are you going to miss some like Toto Wolff and Mattia Bonotto have this year?
2: I'm not privileged as them, you know. I have to go to the races, you know, actually. So, <laughs> you know, these are the rich people which, can, which cannot uh, afford not to go because they've got so many people working for them. No. And, and to be honest, I don't dislike to go to races. This is what I'm doing. That's what I like most, going racing. You know, it's one of the things I I, I do like. Uh, I will go, hopefully, you know, with 24 races, you never know if you're sick on one race or something. I hope I'm not. And uh, I will go to, uh, to, to all the races, uh, it is a long season, but uh, uh, rotating the staff, we, we don't have a plan to rotate continuously, you know, proper uh, whole team. There will be a few positions will will ro- uh, rotate in the team, but uh, uh, the main people, the mechanics and the engineers will be always the same.
1: All right. Gunter, it's been wonderful to catch up. I hope we can do this again. Three and a half years. In three and a half <laughs> Before three and a half <laughs> years is up. Gunter, thanks so much for your time. No, thank Great. you. Thank you. Don't you worry Gunther, we won't let another three and a half years pass before getting you back on the show. There'll be too much to discuss in the coming seasons. But as for what we've just heard, I thought we got a very thoughtful and insightful Gunther. His take on the journey that Haas has been on these past few years, and the reasons behind the establishment of their design department in Maranello, was fascinating. Equally, he was very logical in his explanation as to why he chose Nico Hülkenberg ahead of Mick Schumacher for 2023. Time will, of course, tell whether it was the correct decision. Gunther, many thanks for your time. Enjoy Thanksgiving with the family back in the US and I'll see you soon. Now, as ever, please send in your thoughts and stories about Gunther. Tell me what you think of the season that Haas has just had or what you think of their decision to replace Mick. Send me what you have at f one on Twitter or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Which of course brings me on to what you sent in about Sebastian Vettel after last week's show. We received literally hundreds of messages and thank you to everyone who wrote in. And here's a small handful from the mailbag. Gerald had this to say Sebastian has always been my F1 idol Ever since I was young I would always watch the Singapore Grand Prix where he would totally rule My dad got me a Sebastian Vettel polo t-shirt which made me more in love with him than ever And Rahul Arora We'll come to you next Thank you Tom for this episode It was wonderful to hear from the legend reflecting on his illustrious career with such humbleness Wishing Seb all the best for his future endeavours And Melum El Abed, you're next. The end of an era, but the start of a legacy of a legend. Without a doubt, Seb has been one of the best drivers Formula One has ever seen. As he once said, everyone is a Ferrari fan. Well, I believe that everyone is a Seb fan. Great episode. And Aaron, we'll come to you now. As a lifelong Formula One fan, I followed Sebastian's F1 career from the beginning. This chat really showed a side to Seb we don't often see, especially the love for his family. An incredible talent behind the wheel, he will be truly missed. Danke Seb. And finally, let's go to Chloe. This has been such an incredible and beautiful listen. It's been a pleasure being a fan of Seb and hearing him speak so openly and freely when he's so private is a privilege was almost in tears hearing him speak about his wife, Hannah. Thank you, Chloe, and thank you to everyone who wrote in. I read all of your comments while on the plane back from Abu Dhabi. Well, that's almost it for this week. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Gunter Steiner who, I might add, mentioned Kevin Magnusson a lot during our chat. I had a brilliant conversation with Kevin earlier this year where he talked about his F1 return, and there's a link to that episode in the show description. Plus, check out our back catalogue for almost 200 interviews with F1 stars from every era of the sport. The season might be over, but we've got some big names lined up between now and the end of 2022. So thanks for following, reviewing and rating the podcast and for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula 1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time,
0: keep it flat out.